and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society, where we take a look at all of the Star Trek movies with a more critical eye. I'm Mike, and as always, I'm joined by Marcelo. How's it going, Marcelo? Um, all things considered, it's going pretty good. How are you, Mike? I'm doing okay. I'm living the dream, and life is but a dream. So you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, you're a poet as well. Uh, it should be said, Mike, right? Uh, and we are also joined, as always, by Diego. How's it going, Diego? Oh, it is. It's just fucking peachy. Uh, no, it's actually, it's actually going okay. Uh, apart from some technical issues, as I discussed with you both before the show, uh, th- things are going good. So, yes, today we are going to be discussing... Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Uh, But before we get into that, I think we should discuss uh, the episodes that we watched this week, which are Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2, The Vulcan Hello, and The Battle of the Binary Stars. So this is the first time either of you watched Discovery, not counting short treks, which... You could say is maybe you know is part of discovery, sort of you know, whatever. Um, but this is your first proper discovery, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm very curious uh, to see what you guys thought of it. Uh, rewatching the episodes myself, I realized that the reason why I I picked this this pairing may not be completely obvious. But, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. Um, so, Marcelo, what did you think about Disco? Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the last episode where I said I haven't seen maybe any... I, uh, I may have been too uh, uh, sensational when I said I haven't seen any Star Trek TV episodes outside of the original series. I'm sure I've seen maybe an episode or two of The Next Generation or like Voyager, but none of it has stuck with me. So I'm coming into Discovery as like, yeah, this is the first two real episodes of Star Trek outside of the original series that I've seen. And I... I don't know. I I think I got what I was expecting. Like a Star Trek TV show in 2000... But wait, did this come out? 2018? Yeah. 17. 17, yeah. Mm. A modern day Star Trek episode. Um, and I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I was eager to see what was going to happen next, but not eager enough to click on episode three. <laughs> so that might tell you enough. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was compelling enough, and I was invested in the characters that, yeah, I do not regret having seen these two episodes. So that's my answer. Overall, I'll give it a thumbs up. Okay. And Diego, you, you've seen, uh, well, every series, right? Up until up Discovery? Up until Discovery, yeah. Okay. So so what did what did you think about um, New Trek, as they call it? This is kind of what I felt people were referring to the J.J. Abrams Trek as, as not, like, feeling like they're Star Trek. And I want to make clear that that's not really, like, a criticism. That's a, that's a Diego thing. I think as its own, it's an exciting start to a new Star Trek series that I don't know where it's going, so I'm excited to see where it goes, but I also don't know why we started where we started. 
Uh, and I think that's a that, that's a problem I have with a lot of modern TV. It just happens to be in my Star Trek now. But I don't think it was bad. I just need to see where it ends up and if I'm going to like the journey, if that makes sense. Because I didn't dislike this. I just, I'm feeling it out. Because I was really looking forward to this when it first premiered, and then I just never saw it because of life things, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, to get into the plot, I mean, it feels almost like a like a season finale of another new show that we just so happen to jump in on and like correct me if I'm wrong but when I've seen people talk about Discovery I see them talk about certain stars like what's his name Jason Isaacs right yeah isn't he supposed to be in this? Was he in these first two episodes? No. No, no right? No, he was not. No. <laughs> so I spent like two hours just waiting for Jason Isaac to pop up, and he never did. Spoiler alert. So that was kind of odd because, yeah, like kind of the, what Diego's saying, I think you mentioned this too, <laughs> Mike, maybe funny. on or off mic. But it's something that like I'm – to me, these are good episodes of Star Trek, but like I wasn't expecting so much to happen and it not be like – what I was expecting, maybe a more traditional Star Trek episode with like them going on a mission, and but we're just thrown into war. It's basically what these two episodes are. It's just war, and that's interesting. I mean, the fact that you know you bring up the war thing because that's a problem that a lot of people have with season one of Discovery in particular is it's about the Klingon War, you know, which is something which we've never seen before in Star Trek. You know, by the time I mean, just for historical context or whatever this show takes place essentially 10 years before the original series so the enterprise is out there but i mean you guys have seen the cage right with the mm-hmm. one with uh, captain pike yeah and shouty spock as he's called the yeah. women you know um so so that that happened like a year or two before this thing but the rest of of the original series hasn't happened yet so somewhere out there the enterprise is flying around with captain pike in command but spock is there too and kirk is off i don't know where he is at the academy or something like that wherever he is so so that's kind of like the historical context by the time we get to the original series the klingons even though they're the main adversaries it's a cold war you know the war happened it ended and now there is this tenuous peace um you know obviously the reason why they were doing that in the 60s is to draw parallels to um you know our our relationship with russia at the time with it being you know like a cold war and everything like that and and that just sort of carried through um but you know, this is telling the tale of, of the war, like what happened in the war, specifically in these two episodes, how it starts. And perhaps it's unfair to give you an idea of what this show is like by showing you the first two episodes, because it, it does take a, a pretty substantial gear shift. Uh, you know, they, they really do refer to episode three as like the second pilot of the show, because that's when, well... For one thing, you see the discovery, which we don't you don't see in the first two uh, episodes. But then you also meet the other main characters, like Jason Isaacs, who plays the captain, and and Mary Wiseman, who plays you know Tilly, who's like the best character in Star Trek, who also shows up in uh, uh, Marriage Story 
and she's part of the the acting troupe uh, okay. at the you know she's she's the best part of that movie. She's awesome. She only has like one line sort of, <laughs> um, but but it's great. And uh, you know Anthony Rapp is on it and everything. And you, we don't see any of those people. But I, I I like that from a storytelling standpoint. The fact that they weren't like we need to introduce all the characters and we need it to be, you know, because they do some insane stuff on this show. And like, even when you get to episode three, there is this kind of tonal shift where it's like almost Battlestar Galactica like, you know, and um, it, it works really well. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked the, this pilot a lot. And as far as Discovery in general is concerned, I think that season one is really, really strong. I think season two, see, they had a, I think they had a plan for season one. And then when that ended, they were just like, now we need to do something else. And what they chose to do was kind of not as great. It's still fine, but it's not as great. And now with season three, they're doing something way different. But I won't get into that because I don't want to ruin anything for you. But... (laughs) It works for me. I think this first season is some of the best Star Trek ever. But when you kind of look at the creation of this show and you think of what could have been, it's kind of insane. Brian Fuller created the show and, you know, he was he got his start working on Star Trek, his first credit was on deep space nine and then the first time he was on a writing staff was on voyager and you know he he then he hit it big and he's like i i would love to do star trek and they brought him in and it's like this is gonna be amazing he hired nicholas meyer onto the writing staff he hired a, a ton of like really cool people and from all parts of of star trek and everything to to sort of assemble and his initial plan for this the reason why it starts off 10 years before the original series is he was going to have each season take place like in a different era and it would basically take you from before the original series up until after next generation looking at i'm assuming here uh, looking at the way the klingon and 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 you know federation relationship has changed through that time i mean that to me sounds pretty badass but they were like well how about we just focus on this first thing because you know we'd have to build all new sets for the second season and you know everything like that and you could tell right there like as soon as you you do that like this relationship is doomed yeah. to end i mean like he wanted it to be like sort of like a cool retro aesthetic like you know oh you know the original series but modern you know and they're like mm, not so sure he wanted to hire edgar wright to direct the pilot and they were like, mm, no, I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Why Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. See, a lot, I don't understand. A lot of this I kind of knew, and some of it I didn't know. And the reason why I was following this is I love Brian Fuller. Like, I love yeah. Pushing Daisies. I love Hannibal. Hannibal's maybe my favorite show of the last 10 years. I don't know. I'm making bold claims here. But no, um, that, like, Hannibal might legitimately be like the best show like from top to bottom. Like At, at the end of all time, we're going to look at that show, and that's going to be one of the best Like in any medium, year, whatever. Hannibal is the business. And so that's yeah. why I was really excited for, for Disco at first. And then he got kicked off, and I was like, 
Oh. Well, but yeah. maybe they'll get someone interesting. And then it's like, Alex Kurtzman. And I was like, oh. <laughs> How, I mean, I yeah. Kurt, I mean, not he's not the wrong choice all the time. <laughs> he's done stuff I liked a lot. But, uh. To, I mean, it, it, the way that it, it, it basically they hired Alex Kurtzman and they're like, you're good at TV. And it was essentially Kurtzman who hired Fuller. But then when they got rid of him, the, it, Kurtzman's like, okay, now I need to like step in and kind of – there was some other – like at first they they, they hired uh, – and the showrunners for season one were um, like – the team that that has worked very closely with uh fuller on like pushing daisies and everything like that those were like his lieutenants and when he left they were like well he'll st-, you know they'll step in and but then they got fired for like being like verbally abusive to their staff or something like that it, it, oh. uh, there there's so much drama behind the scenes so much drama behind the scenes of this show it's in Sane. Okay, they're on showrunner number four oh right God. now. Oh my start God. going into season three, and uh, you know, I mean, they've got some cool people like working on the show now. I mean, like uh, one of the the like Kurtzman's like writing partner, like the new Orsi, essentially is Jenny Lamette, uh, who wrote uh, Rachel Getting Married. Oh, and, wow. I uh, didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and she's actually uh, Sidney Lumet's daughter, uh, and uh, she she's written um, for both this and Picard, and she's co-creating the Clarice Starling show with him as well. Um, wow. So you know, there's a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of could and, and Akiva Goldsman wrote the pilot or rewrote the pilot, and he actually directed episode three as well as the finale. And Goldsman is a really good director really good what did he direct by the way mike he directed episode three of the show (laughs) and also (laughs) and also episode 15 of the show Uh and what else else? come on uh what else what what winter's tale winter's tale okay i haven't seen winter's tale yet is it good such a kurtzman Nut, Mike, that you haven't seen a Winter's Tale. Sorry, uh, not not a Winter's Tale, just Winter's Tale. Winter's Tale. I, it's five dollars on iTunes right now. I'm really considering buying it. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> I've heard good things. I don't know. It's. I just say it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a theater. It 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 it, it, it you know you get those moments. Sometimes you see a movie in a theater with other people. You know, I miss those moments just at all. Um, but you, you're, you're realizing you're watching something that's just so insane that you're like, how did this get past everybody? And how I am I watching it now yeah. with all these people? And they're, we're all paying money to see this. Yeah, I, I get that feeling uh, when I watch Winter's Tale. So oh, man, I need to get I hope it's still on sale on iTunes because I will definitely get that. He also did a, a little horror movie, which uh, I think went straight to video. Um just a, a few months back, so I'll check those out. Should, uh, sorry to interrupt, Mike, but should we also say the connection that the movie has to the two episodes yeah, of Disco? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you did you guys pick up on it, or was it too vague? I I I think I have it, Marcelo. Do you have one? Uh, the connection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll say it was kind of spoiled for me because I had to go back just to double check what we're we're watching for this episode. And I looked on. Mike's spreadsheet and it had the answer there, but oh, sorry, but but I don't think no, but but I don't think that was 
the right connection we were supposed to make because the only connection I saw was that Spock's father's in this and he was essentially raising one of the characters on the show. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So, I mean, that's, that's a connection I saw. Like there's like some familiar connection with Spock's dad. So, um, Diego, I mean, did you get, anything? yeah, it, it was the, the, the Spock seed as it were connection. Yeah, Michael Burnham, the main character on Discovery, is Spock's adopted sister. Okay, yeah, see, that was it, yeah. And And, and, Cybok is his... The spreadsheet says Spock siblings, yeah. (laughs) There you go, yeah. Cybok is, you know, his his half-brother. And both of these are instances where we find out that Spock had a sibling that we never knew about and that he's never talked about or anything like that. And it was a big deal when Star Trek five came out, but also when this one came out, everyone's like, we've never heard of her. Well, how could we have never heard of her? Which I, I, to me, that's not that weird. I've worked with people for decades and I still don't know. Like both of you, Marcelo and Diego, I think I've heard you guys talk of siblings, maybe. I'm not positive. I couldn't tell you who they are, what their names are. If you said, I had an, I have an adopted sister, I'd be like, okay, cool. I didn't know that. For a second, I thought you were going to say, uh, Marcel Diego, I don't know if you have children. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I know. Well, yeah, that, that's a good point. But I mean, yeah. Who? Uh, nobody's going to go around. Notice saying, how we didn't answer that, by the way. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, <laughs> leave it mysterious. So save it for this for the fifth movie. It, it doesn't <laughs> bother me. It doesn't bother me that much. It, it might bother me sometimes when, like, a character, like maybe on the sixth or seventh season of a show, all of a sudden says, "Oh, I have a brother," or "Oh, here's my dad who you haven't seen." I'm thinking of like Jack Bauer on 24. All of a sudden, he has family. <laughs> you know what? If- I, I I'm with Mike on this actually. Uh, on 24, that season just is just doesn't work. But like, like okay, let's take the premise of 24. It's 24 hours time span. Finally. <laughs> you know, right? Like it's it's 24 hour time span. You're not going to get to know those people that well. You're kind of just like in full on adrenaline mode for 24 hours a day per season that's yeah. that's crazy right that anyone came yeah. out of that show alive even <laughs> but like that we even know the basic things about them because that's such a plot predicated show you know it's not like like cheers we don't even know everything about those people and they just hang out together in a bar all the time yeah there, there is a thing in, in star trek 5 which bothers me where um kirk says i, I I had a brother who died once. I was lucky that I got him back. It's like, okay, I see what you did there. But you also had a brother that died in Operation Annihilate, and uh, (laughs) you didn't uh, bother mentioning him, and he was an actual real brother brother. You know what I mean? Well, maybe William Shatner's memory of uh, Star Trek situations and people is not the best. Do you know know what is my favorite... One of my favorite William Shatner moments, and, and this is uh, something I play back in my mind, like whenever I want a good laugh, or whenever I think of William Shatner. But on Conan O'Brien, like the early days of Conan O'Brien, uh, he was a guest, and he's talking about his like book 
where he brings back Sh- brings back Captain Kirk to life or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's telling Colin O'Brien, it's like, uh, Shatner's like, okay, my, my character I play, um, Captain, uh, uh, <laughs> he just forgets for like a split <laughs> second. And Conan goes, Kirk, your, char- your, ca- your character's name is Captain Kirk. How did you forget? <laughs> and Shatner's like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. For, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe he tends to forget some things uh, so <laughs> it's quite it's quite possible it's quite possible so okay so this movie star trek 5 the final frontier um just kind of setting the stage star trek 4 the voyage home obviously massive success in in a lot of ways their biggest success it didn't make as much money as the motion picture but you had that star trek on the big screen bump you know so this one was you know the one that crossed over to the mainstream so it's like of course they're going to be making another one and i don't exactly understand how contracts work but um, Shatner and Nimoy had something in their contract called, I believe it's called a, a favored nations clause, what? where if I'm not mistaken, what it means is basically if one of them is offered something, then the other one also has to be offered something. Right. So since Leonard Nimoy got to direct two new movies, they contractually needed to give William Shatner the chance to direct a movie. Okay. Now, I don't know this offhand, Mike, but how much directorial experience did Shatner have before this? Um, Well, I know that he had directed some T.J. Hooker. Um, He had never done another movie. He's directed a lot of stuff since. Never anything which has been theatrical, um, I don't know. Did you guys happen to watch my uh, Star Trek Five playlist trailer playlist? No, I'm sorry. I saw no. I saw uh-uh. some of it, Mike. Actually, I saw that trailer, which I didn't know existed, or I just pushed it out of my mind. That one trailer of that movie where he plays himself. Yes, Free What's Enterprise. The, Free Enterprise. That's the yeah. most insane thing <laughs> I may have ever seen. Because you got to watch it. It's on. You can watch it on Prime. Um, it's a it's a fantastic movie. I mean, uh, it 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 it's got some issues now in terms of like it's a little bit dated in terms of yeah. Like it's, <laughs> the, the trailer ends with William Shatner rapping, so yes, it's oh, a bit, oh, it's oh, a bit dating. Not, that, that's dated. not one of the dated parts. That's not one of the dated parts. Oh. I mean, like in terms of their, it's a romantic comedy. and It's about two guys who in the dating scene in L.A. and some of it is a little like uh, okay, you know, in in the late nineties, you know, you could get away with that but today eh, maybe not so much you know that sort of thing but on the whole it works really well um and yes william shatner plays himself and he's amazing it's the best performance of his career to be honest I, <laughs> no no i mean i'm not, I'm not <laughs> free enterprise is the best performance of he william he, shatner's career it's where he learned i think that his to strength rap. is com- <laughs> to rap but also that his strength is comedy you know, like that movie is the reason why Priceline was like, let's get him to do our commercials. It, it, it is. It's that's what, you know, happened. And then you look at like the stuff that he did after that. And it's like Miss Congeniality, where he's essentially playing himself, um, you know, uh, Boston Public or Boston Legal, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. My my favorite might be him on uh, Third Rock from the Sun. His his yes. guest spots on those. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. And there's that line where he's talking to John Lithgow. Yeah. About how he got there and the thing on the side of the plane. Yeah, the plane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, like all that stuff. You know, he's great. And there's a whole um, William Shatner playing himself cinematic universe, uh, <laughs> which includes this movie, uh, a movie called Festival at Cannes, uh, which is not very good, and then uh, Fanboys, which is basically mm. the Star Wars equivalent of Free Enterprise. Uh, so, yeah. so Diego, you have some homework. Watch no, the I've trailer. seen Fanboys. I'm I'm not watching that ever again. <laughs> no one should watch Fanboys. I like Fanboys. I think that movie's good. I think it's funny. I can't believe I have to end your life, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> end your life. That literally should- might be the worst film I've ever seen. But no. That's, should that's we, a, should that's we just do topic. a spinoff and just let's just do a commentary on fan why fanboys <laughs> is the most cursed film of all time? Look, just look at look into who who ended up making that film, and this is complete hindsight yeah. twenty twenty. There's a lot of a very um, questionable elements. I'll leave it at that because we should really talk about Star Trek Five because I think yeah, there's a lot to talk about actually. Yeah, okay. folks, Google fanboys on your free time, but yeah, uh, just yeah, wow. let's go back to. <laughs> so yeah, um, te- one of the other trailers on there was for a movie called Tech War, which uh, he directed based on a book which he wrote. You know, um, one of those things, and it became a TV show. So yeah, he's. He's he's done some directing. Nothing of this scale, though. And, you know, they basically said, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I think that uh, Captain Kirk should meet God. And they're like, well, you know, like uh, Star Trek is kind of like famously like an atheist mythology. And he's like, but I think he should meet God. So they hired this guy, David Lowry. Uh, who wrote things like Passenger 57, and uh, he's written, I mean, like, he's had this kind of, like, renaissance where he's written some really great movies like Obsessed and Lakeview Terrace and Nurse 3D and, uh, you know, like, lots of really cool stuff. But back then, this is, like, one of his first movies, and, you know, he's credited as writing this movie, and a lot of people say the script script is terrible but he's talked about it and he's like basically my job was to listen to William Shatner's ideas and try to turn that into like something coherent and you can see how that might be a problem yeah. why does that sound familiar maybe because it's it happens so often I think that happened on Prometheus or just somebody yeah. was just listening to Ridley Scott saying okay the, the ship will They'll fall that way and not crush Charlie Theron. Then it will yeah, crush Charlie Theron. Yeah, yeah. That like the production of that is awesome. The production of this is just like oh, it's an ego trip. Well, that's because you had Ridley Scott doing Prometheus, right? <laughs> yeah, who is like a genuine like insane man, but like in a fun mm-hmm. way. You know, and he's also made he's made a couple movies. Um, prior to this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he makes like three movies a year. The problem is he makes them too fast, and the studios have to have can't keep up with his release date, so they have to keep like churning them out slowly. Yeah, that's a theory of mine that has not been disproven. (laughs) Is this is this a good time for me to say that like I didn't hate this movie, and I enjoyed it enough, but my thought of it in my mind has always been bigger than what it is, because they don't meet God until the last five minutes of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it ends, and then a minute later, it's over. 
and I'm like, what? I I thought that the whole maybe like last half of the movie was them fighting God or something. I just remember this completely differently, and I had no idea what I was watching when I put this on, and it started like I started off like Lawrence of Arabia, like somebody in the <laughs> desert. I tweeted this. I'm like, what? Did I put? It? I literally, I legitimately thought I put in the wrong movie. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> I'm like, did I put in like like another? Like, was a wrong disc in my you know, Star Trek Five <laughs> Blu-ray case? So it's it's just an odd movie. That's what I'm trying to say. Although no, I it's 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 very it. odd. Uh, and the opening you're describing, it's so long. And I don't even like hate it at first. I'm like, wow, this is like some pretty striking imagery. Way to go, Shatner. And then you're like, oh, we're still in the credits. Okay. <laughs> and then it just keeps going. You're like, oh, wow. we're This is it. It's like three minutes in and nothing has happened. It's just nature yeah. shots of William Shatner climbing a mountain. Yeah, which, stuff. you know, then John Woo ripped off, you know, the opening of this movie for Mission Impossible. Okay, but Mission Impossible 2, exactly. when Tom Cruise does it, it's awesome. Here, it's like, yeah. oh, this is this looks pretty nice. This is kind of impressive. But, but <laughs> in, in, his, in his defense, I mean, think about, like, that was the style at this point in time. You, you look at every other movie, you know, in the first four, they all start with extended credit sequences, but most of them are just like words in space. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 he was, you know, taking it to another level. And he's like, instead of putting words in space, let's put words over a mountain. So, you know, that's cool. It's cool, it's, but there's like no rhythm to it. You know, in space, you don't have yeah. to like visually, like you, your mind can like kind of acclimate to the fact that like, oh yeah, text crawls in space. Star Wars, I get that. Star Trek, I get that. Uh, when when he's like climbing the mountain, there's no like structure to his climbing. It's just kind of like an angle over here, a striking image there. And like, again, like I, I was actually very impressed by that. I don't know who did the cinematography on this, but like they, I think... This movie actually looks pretty good at times. Other times, it's like downright super cheap. I guess. Um, yeah, but. yeah. There is that that uh, that thing, and the cinematographer. Oh God, you know, I was just thinking about this. He's someone of note. He's done good things. What a resume, <laughs> Andrew Laszlo. Okay, he yeah he he shot First Blood. He shot the Warriors. He shot yeah. Inner Space. You know, yeah. I mean, he's he's solid. Streets of Fire. You know, I mean, he he knows what he's doing. Streets of Fire. That's why that name sounds familiar. God. Yeah. yeah, godly cinematographer. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, and now I will say just to piggyback on what Diego was saying, it it looks at least a lot of it looks pretty damn good, like for 1989. So I was impressed with how it looked. I mean, the, thing that a lot, <laughs> the thing that a lot of people complain about are the, uh, the effects. They say the effects are really cheap. And, and I guess they are, but at the same time, I appreciate that. Like, I think like, like you're saying like compositionally and everything, they work. It's just, they look like, they didn't have a lot of money to do them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, think, I can forgive that. I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm rewatching some of it now, and <laughs> yeah, the opening with Spock on the hover boots. I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, you, you can you can see the strings, you know, that are yeah. ha- that they're hanging from and all that stuff. Um, but you know, 
I don't know. It, the other thing which kind of like smooths out any problems with the visuals, and I mean something which I think bumps it up maybe like a full star in my mind, is Jerry Goldsmith's score. Oh, the you fact know? that they brought him back. It's it's really good in this. Yeah. I have a question about the score. Oh, yeah. fuck this guy. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> okay. I was like, I'm like, just like trying to find something nice to say here to this movie that has no, been no, no, dragged no. through the mud for decades. This, this is not a bad thing. It's just okay, a okay, very okay. honest question. When I was listening to this, I thought it sounded like the next generation score. Like, yeah. is it, is it the same score? Well, yeah, it, it's the same. It's the same as the motion picture. Right, he he created that for motion picture, and then they stole it from the motion picture and used it in, uh, you know, the 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 next generation. So okay. this is this is the first movie that was made after Next Generation. He didn't have anything to do with Next Generation. They just, they just took, took his music and adapted it for, for the Next Generation. So at this point, it had become the Next Generation theme. And actually, in talking to some p- people who were like journalists following this stuff at the time, they were like, uh, yeah, you know, I think he was a little territorial. I think he was like, fuck you guys for taking my music and making it on this show. This is my theme. That's why he brought it back for this one. He's like, I'm using my music for this movie. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's very just in your face. And it's like, yeah. Nah, nah, nah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I think I guess I finally made that connection that that the uh, Next Generation theme is from the motion picture and hearing it now just clicks. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I I love the score. I think that it's great, and um, yeah. I, you know, like watching this movie, I was kind of expecting. I mean, since you know, the whole premise of this show is to be like, look at it critically. You know, I was like, this movie's going to fall apart for me when I when I'm watching it this time around, and honestly, it didn't. Like I've always said, like it's fine. It's like the weakest of the original series, but it's not bad, and I think that that stands true like until they get onto the ship like the whole like b as in barricade which i still don't understand what that means but until that whole sequence where they get back onto the ship with cybok i think that it really works like and this is the one thing that people always praise it for is the uh the interplay between kirk spock and bones right Mm-hmm. Like when they're on Yosemite and they're joking around and they're making the marshmallows and everything like that. Like people just love that stuff because that's like true to those characters. And, and and that stuff works really well. It's just like when you start getting into like the plot of the movie that it kind of falls apart, right? Yeah, you know? the, the character stuff is, for those three specifically really outstanding um i was like oh i'm gonna like this this time aren't i and like no not really but yeah i don't i don't have negative feelings about it like every problem that's been brought up about this movie is like pinpoint accurate (laughs) Um, but like it's it it's not like that bad it's just kind of boring and like william shatner's clearly not capable of like combining all of his crazy ideas and i'll even here's here's a take I don't think his his direction like was the wrong direction to go for the story, or at least like a, a wrong direction for a Star Trek movie. Just um, like Marcelo brought up, it all that shit everyone knows about this movie happens at the end and then it ends. 
Like, that's not a movie. <laughs> that's and not that, that uh, is, compelling. That is an interesting point there, too, is that um, the reason why that happens is because they ran out of money and they yeah. weren't able to shoot the climax of the film. So... Because let's let's not get to it yet, because I want somebody to explain it to me. But okay. um, what what doesn't work for me is ju- <laughs> I was literally going to say what doesn't work for me is eighty percent of this movie. But let me <laughs> let me try to phrase it Sorry. in a better way. Um, it's 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 just the fact that this is a the plot they go with for a movie. I don't like the fact that. They are their lore, you know the uh, what's his name, Cybok lures you know the Enterprise and takes their ship and goes to God. That whole setup and build up, it's not interesting to me. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> care. So it's not compelling enough. It, it, it gets compelling when they're in the ship and the Holy Trinity, when like Spock, Bones, uh, and and Kirk are talking with with, with Cybok, and Cybok shows them. You know their personal, I guess, demons, whatever. Like that, uh, that whole scene is interesting to me. That whole sequence, I think, yeah. But I don't know, just them going to this planet and in, you know, tr- trying to infiltrate this fortress, and then t- them Cyborg taking the ship. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I, it's it to me. It's it's bland and yeah. It doesn't doesn't work. It has like no narrative thrust. Like it's really grasping yeah. at straws to like. Yeah, you kind of feel Shatner trying to figure out like, okay, how do I get them on the journey to meet God, and then dismantle yeah. God itself, like the concept <laughs> of God itself. Because I guess like I was doing a little bit of research on this one. Like he was interested in like that um, the televangelist like kind of schemes stuff going yeah. on and like on a cosmic yeah. scale and like I, I think that's like a really cool idea too um, mm-hmm. I probably would have been along like in the production of this too just been like oh wow this is like ballsy and then you see the movie yeah. and you're like oh we didn't like do that though <laughs> like oh shit what, um, what was going on in the 80s because like wasn't this around the same time that the what Bond movie was it it wasn't License to Kill it was the other uh, Living Daylights one Living Daylights, but they didn't have that. They have like an evangelist cult angle, and uh, like well, that was at the same I time. I think I don't remember that, yeah, but I, it, I, I need to rewatch it. But it would have been like within a year or two of this. The eighties yeah. are crazy. Is what I'm trying to say. Because yeah, because yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, what one of those Dalton movies had a, an angle of an evangelist um, working with like these um, terrorists and like money laundering. Then probably and Living Daylights. Making, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway. 80s crazy um but yeah if i'm with you diego if they had better i, I don't know maybe my problem is cyborg him being the villain he's not compelling enough for me and the fact they they reveal him as spock's half-brother it it should i think it should be more important than it, than it than what it turned out to be so yeah so originally they wanted sean connery to play that that role um, that's why they call the planet that God's on Shakari. Sean Connery. God damn it. Yeah, Sorry. Sorry to ruin it for you. I'm going to end the call. Oh, wow. so this is fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, you can kind of see, I mean, I think the guy who they got, Lawrence Luckenbull, I think he's perfectly fine, but. Yeah. 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 I'm not, yeah. you know, not to, you know, criticize him, but I don't know. Just the character itself is to me not, as compelling as it should be. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, there's a lot about this movie which almost works to me, you know? Yeah. And a lot that doesn't. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like uh, kind of what Diego was saying. It is, it, 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 it grasps the straws. And for me, it's like on this rickety, you know, Temple of Doom bridge where I think it barely <laughs> makes it across, you know? Yeah. As soon as they meet God, you're across the bridge and like, okay, this is what I'm here for. And there's enough there. But yeah, just getting there. It is kind of rough. Yeah. And it's it's got moments. It's got some like some of my favorite moments like in Star Trek film history. Like I mean, you you can't really beat the uh, um excuse me. What does God need with a starship? Like that's an incredible <laughs> line. No, it is. Yeah. I, we we had a uh, a poster of of Captain Kirk hanging up in in the booth that I used to work in at, at a movie theater and for like a good 10 years we had it was just Shatner there with a word balloon, you know, like a comic book word balloon that said, what does God need with a starship? It was great. Um, one of the Jim, you can't ask there. the Almighty for his ID. Yep. Like, that's hilarious. <laughs> there is a lot of good stuff in this movie. You know, it's just in a bad movie in a sense. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It, it is like a lesser episode. Of the original series, like I haven't seen a lot of season three, Mike. But I mean, yeah. would <laughs> yeah, this is, your head. Se- this is the season three of uh, Star Trek movies for sure. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Because I still yeah. enjoy watching it. Maybe if it is, uh, you know, the original cast is still here. They're doing so- okay. Explain to me this before explaining me the god thing. <laughs> why? Why did um, uh, was it Ahura? Why? Mm-hmm. Why did she do? Why? I, I don't know the answer. The whole to that flamingo dancer sequence. I yeah, yeah. I don't no, know. We, we, I don't is there know a legitimate reason? No. Why was it five no. minutes long? <laughs> we, we, we don't know. There is there is an extended. I don't think she's singing. Extended. It, can, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> the the song itself is on the soundtrack, like a fully produced okay. version of the song. Uh, it's actually good pretty. Good. I mean, it's very eighties, you know. But whatever. It, um, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what was going on there. Because honestly, was it, was it a reference to the original series or something no. that happened before? No, no, no. no it just what? Just <laughs> what? It's, it's just it's just a choice. It was a choice. They made it. I'm done. Yeah, the, the, the treatment of the other characters is something which uh, you know they, they've been a lot of people have been very critical of um, because you know uh, it's very famous that behind the scenes. Uh, all of his cast members hated him, right? I mean, like the, the you know Leonard Nimoy. Well, at the end, Leonard Nimoy hated him too. But you know, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, but in particular, like the the second tier, you know, just couldn't stand him because you know, I mean, he's William Shatner and he's William got Shatner, a big personality, yeah. and you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I have seen some stuff like at conventions in person where it's like, whoa, okay, well, I don't, um, okay, fine, cool, especially with the character of Scotty, like. James Dewan felt like very disrespected with the treatment of the character and felt like uh, Shatner was intentionally turning the character into a buffoon because of <laughs> how much he didn't like James Dewan. So, you know, I mean, it's it's like there, there's a lot of tension there. I mean, I sent you guys the clip, which is on the DVD, the Blu-ray of uh, the the press conference that, that they had after the filming had wrapped where he's going around 
introducing all of the actors and he gets to Walter Koenig and he's like, and the gentleman who plays Chekhov, you know, he straight up forgets the guy's name, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, <laughs> like just, just for me. And I know reality proves this wrong, but like just for me, like it's really hard for me to see someone in, in a space that should be that welcoming to be that much of an asshole. But I know that people like that exist also. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'm sure some people do know, <laughs> uh, specifically in regards to Shatner, uh, uh, whether or not the claims of, of douchebaggery, we'll, we'll say, are uh, justified. Uh, Mike, have you met William Shatner? No, I, I've seen him in person numerous times, like probably like literally like 10 times or something like that. I've seen him in person. I, I even went to his concert, which was amazing, by the way. Um, but I've never met him face to face. I just can't. I mean, I know some people love to do this or whatever. I cannot justify spending oh my God. $75 to have someone sign something for me. I yeah. can't justify spending $10 to have someone sign something for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, I just, I just yeah. can't, I can't do it. I've only done it one time was the, uh, <laughs> Iris Stephen bear, the creator of deep space nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry to laugh, but <laughs> no, 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 no. He, uh, I, it's, it's acceptable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he he was he was signing autographs for free because you know I mean why not he's yeah. I mean, he's a super cool guy created like my favorite show and they were like oh you can do photo ops with him and I'm like well I'm gonna do that you know mm-hmm. and like we we you know took our picture and it was really awkward and then the next day I got the picture and he was signing and I brought it to him to have him sign it and he's like ah the good old days when you and i used to stand around taking our pictures together you know and it's like (laughs) that's what i want you know i want the person who's signing this picture of me and him to berate me for having spent 40 dollars to take a picture with him you know and i got that and it was great it was the best (laughs) so the lesson is don't meet your heroes unless They're giving away free autographs. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, I will say I I did spend a little money to get uh, Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker to sign my 100th issue of The Walking Dead because they specifically play two characters that were not in the comics. (laughs) <laughs> and they were both delightful human beings. Like, I mean, they don't, they don't have to be, and maybe they're just like acting and, and that capacity too, but I've, I've met them multiple times and, and each time they were delightful people. And yeah. I know that's not always the case too. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, I mean, that's just the way, the way it is, right? Some, some people are going to yeah. be jerks and some people are going to be awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's cool, and and I mean that's certainly like obviously huge businesses like autographs and stuff, and there's people who love doing that, and it's like great, I, I you know more power to you. I just can't. I'd rather have a you know pizza. <laughs> rather eat. <laughs> I mean, same. Yeah. So okay, um, should we talk about the ending of this movie? Yeah. Um, what's what's going on there? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, well, well I, I will say, and, and this is kind of whatever, um, the director of Free Enterprise, it, his day job is he's a DVD producer. He was actually one of the main creative forces behind the Lord of the Rings box sets. Oh, right? wow. I had no idea. And, wow. Yeah, yeah. And he was hired to create this DVD after Free Enterprise, which I'm like, that's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because he's the William Shatner. And one of the things which they campaigned hard for was to get like an extra $1.5 million or something like that in order to complete this movie. Because one of the reasons why the ending feels rushed and makes no sense is because they ran out of money and they couldn't finish it. They couldn't finish the effects. They, they, it was originally, there was supposed to be a huge scene where like these rock monsters come out and like, you know, battle and, and like, you know, and uh, none of that happened because they tried building rock monster suits and it looks really bad. And if you look on the DVD, there's actually a, you can see it. You can see the test which is pretty great. They set it to like Godzilla music and everything. It's fantastic. Oh, wow. um, but uh, yeah, you know, they just, they just didn't have the money or the technology to do that. So the ending basically makes no sense because it's missing everything. It's yeah. not there. <laughs> I mean, See, like, I, I just feel bad. There. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, here's what I think happens. <laughs> And I think this is what is is supposed to be like the idea is like it's obviously it's not actually God, but it's like an, an alien force that is pretending to be God that fools people into coming to the source, whatever it is. And this, you know, whatever alien takes their ships and just invades other planets. Right. I mean, no, I was gonna say that's the general idea of it. Right. That's what I'm gathering happens. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think he necessarily does. I think, you know, they're like, oh, you're God. And he's like, yeah, I'm totally God. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think like the, the the pitch was they go to find God and instead of finding God, they find the devil, right? Like that's the idea of this movie thematically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying, that's, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, uh, but... I've seen this only twice in my life <laughs> with like years apart, but uh, how did, uh, how did Spock's half brother know where to go? It's, it's the center of the galaxy. That's it, right? Just the center of the galaxy. Right. Which, you know, they had to cross the great barrier, which all of the nerds are going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense because in episode two of the original series where no man has gone before, <laughs> they crossed the great barrier to get to Delta Vega, which is all true. Uh, and then they're also like, well, actually, why is Delta Vega in Star Trek 09? Because in order to get to Delta Vega, you have to cross the Great Barrier. You know, I mean, this is what nerds do, right? Um, but yeah. yeah, the idea is like, oh, it's at the center of the universe. It's like, it's a place where no man has gone before because it's like, th- th- there's a barrier, right? I mean, it's like, no one knows what's going to happen if you, you know, it's the equivalent of, uh, you know, Columbus, you know, going sailing and thinking he's going to fall off the earth or whatever because it's flat. You know, I mean, that that's like the the equivalent. And they do it. And, you know, what's going to be there? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be where God lives. So, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Expecting God's house to be there, too? I don't know. I, I um, guess. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I want to ask Diego. Diego, what do you think happened? <laughs> My perception of of this conflict at the end is that it's some being, some some malevolent force that is powerful enough to fuck shit up, but is not the creator of anything. You know, it is it is a a force of sentient energy that wants to escape this imprisonment to to traverse the cosmos for whatever reason and that's what i got from it i i still don't understand what its purpose was apart from that or 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 generally what it wanted once it was outside the barrier so yeah it's it's just leaving it to the audience to just make up their own ending which 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 I already did. I, I mean, yeah, I, I've I've already told you guys. I'm, I'm, again, I'm gonna say it's an alien who knew exactly where to where to put himself up, the center of the galaxy, the universe, whatever. And he's like, I know these fools are gonna search for God. I'm gonna I'm gonna plant myself right here at the center because I know they're gonna come to me. And then I'm gonna take their ship and then go wherever I want to go. That's what. But, it is. How, but then, how did he get to the center to begin with? Um, he had one ship. That ran out of gas. Oh, okay. And he All got right. he's like, I got one I got a one way trip, I'm just gonna go to the center of the galaxy. Then I'll just then they'll come to me. I'll have plenty of ships. <laughs> um I mean it should be noted that there is a long um history in Star Trek of the crew meeting godlike beings. You know, it happens on the original series a bunch. Uh definitely mm-hmm. check out Return of the Archons and the squire of gothos and stuff like that it's a it's a it's a a tried and true uh plot device in 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 star trek and you know a a way of uh sort of like dealing with with the idea of uh of religion and mythology and and all that stuff and and uh it's you know it works for the most part maybe not here but in general yeah Yeah. it's it's kind of I guess it, it is the worst Star Trek movie we've talked about thus far, but it's kind of the inverse of my reaction to Star Trek three, the search for Spock, where the search for Spock is like a bad idea made really well with a really talented, like filmmaker and crew. This is a good idea made by a not good filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree with that actually. Yeah. And I don't know which yeah. is worse to be honest. You know, uh, I th- I think this because then I I'm a little disappointed. We're like when when you title it the search for Spock after Wrath of Khan, it's like, well, you know, we know what we're getting there. And and the other yeah, thing okay. about that is like the search for Spock, you watch it and you're like, this is really well done. I kind of hate it because it was so well done. Whereas this one, you're just like, oh god, why couldn't this be better? You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the disappointment factor kind of nudges it just a little lower. But again, I, I have no like disdain for it. Yeah, this is certainly the more boring of the two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they both got good stuff in them. Just yeah, the low points for now. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I like? Um, that room that they're in, Mike. What, what is this room where they have the old? Uh, 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 steering wheel, the, the yeah. captain. Yeah, 
what, what is that? Is that just is just a stick to, for for show? I would assume it was the observation deck yeah. or something, the observation lounge. But I, I don't really know. I mean, I guess that is the one thing to note about this. You know, talking about the production design. Uh, this is the first movie which was designed by Herman Zimmerman, who was the production designer on basically all of the Star Trek stuff for from like 1987 through 2005. I mean, he's basically more responsible for the look of of trek like aside from the original creators than anyone else and uh you know i mean it just kind of makes sense that you would hire the guy who had been working on the show because obviously they were reusing a lot of the sets i mean like if you watch next generation you'll be like oh those corridors are exactly the same you know those those shuttle pods are exactly the same because you know you got to cut corners you got to save money i mean you got to pay for some rock monsters you know (laughs) but um i I think that you know as far as the production is concerned it it does look really good you know and 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 they did a good job of um you know coming up with creative ways to solve problems like that so yeah 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 to that point i enjoy the production design of this i mean the elements within i think are good save for the actual story and the length that's just too long i don't know it's i i joked around a few episodes ago <laughs> saying i i i just want to throw in if, if i want to throw in a movie i'll throw in star trek 5 and of course i was being <laughs> i was being uh stupid by saying that <laughs> i i i i'd surely throw in search for spock before this so yeah yeah, so uh, I probably would too, but like I could I could easily fall asleep to this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I wouldn't feel bad about it. I'd just be like, yeah, you know, it's fun. climbing rocks for three hours before the movie starts. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Release the rock cut. Not even the rock monsters. Just. Kirk climbing rocks with the titles imposed <laughs> over him for like three hours and just it. like Star Trek music. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll put that on my Waffle Press Patreon. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I'd watch that. I know I know they're they're currently uh restoring the motion picture, right, Mike? That's the word on the street. No Woo! chance no chance of another uh go at this one and and, and sticking in that new ending. I don't think so. I think that that time frame, you know, in like 2002, you know, when uh, they 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 did that with the motion picture, and then they also released the director's cuts of two and six. I think if it was ever going to happen, that's when it was going to happen. I think that there was a decent shot of it happening back then. At this point, I can't see it happening, unfortunately. But what oh, can you do? That's a shame. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, should, should we wrap this up? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go. All right. Um, well, I, I guess uh, before we, we get into whatever, um, uh, next week is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, if you're able to track down the director's cut, cool. If not, no biggie. Uh, but the the uh, episode that we're going to be watching to go along with that is uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 7, Episode 25, All Good Things which is the the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. So we're going to get to see two endings and uh, can compare and stuff. So, yeah. Um, But until then, 
Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me online at the Diego Crespo at Twitter. Uh, check out the Waffle Press, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Patreon, iTunes. I'm pretty sure I missed something there, but all those links where I have other podcasts going on, retrospectives. Uh, oh, and don't forget to check out Bayhem, which I did with, with the Star Trek boys here, yeah. which uh, at the time of this recording is, is finally making its way into the, the general public view. So I'm hoping people keep up and enjoy those. All right. What about you, Marcelo? Yeah, uh, you can find those Bayham episodes over at talkfromsociety.com. Check out uh, our shows there, our podcast shows, um, and our writing. Uh, I mean, hopefully by the time this is out, I would have written a few things. Um, Getting back into it, and yeah, trying not to go insane. Uh, Hope everybody out there is doing well. That's it. All right, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage where we take a look at movies from the perspective of the booth. All right, that's about it. Are you guys ready for our catchphrase? Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Since there's no worthy catchphrases from this movie. From well, five. Yes, there is. There's what does God need with a Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, that's like the best one. It's better well, than anything in Star Trek 3. We'll, we'll, we'll find that one. We'll, we'll, I, I do not recommend we do that one. Let's just stick with the one we have. <laughs> okay. All okay. right. Okay. We could try singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. We're going to do a countdown or are we just going to do it? Count it down. Okay. Count down. Three, two, one. I, I have had, had, have had enough, enough of, of you. you. That's never going to work. No, no. At some point it might. Be.